Lord. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for new life in Jesus. We thank you for baptism. We thank you for family and friends. Lord, we thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. That not only are we saved by Jesus, but we are sealed by your Spirit, kept by the power of God. Lord, we know that our future, our eternity in Christ by faith is secure. That no one can snatch us out of your hands. Neither trial, nor tribulation, nor persecution, nor peril, nor swords, nor suffering, nor stuff in this world, nor things in this life. We know Christ, even when our grip on grace is weak, when we may be just hanging on at by a fingernail, it seems, over the edge of the abyss. But we know that the entire time that it's not our grip that keeps us safe, but it's the grip of grace. It's the grip of our Savior. We realize the entire time you are holding on to us. You will lead us safely home. And so, Lord, I pray for all of the, those who are suffering in this room, life, family, job, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that they would feel your grip of grace today. And Lord, knowing that you will meet all of their needs and you will bring them safely home. Lord, we thank you that ours indeed are keys to Zion City. And Lord, you don't take those keys back, but you empower us to hold on. In fact, you hold on to us till the end. Lord, we thank you. We ask you to speak to us as we open your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. And we're continuing on our series on suffering. On suffering. And want to continue to, for us to think together about how suffering, how we suffer when life doesn't make sense. Suffering when life doesn't make sense. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 19. Peter there writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes, to, comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. 
And if it begins with us, what will become, what will be the outcome of those who disobey the gospel of God? And if, righteous, if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together every week to come together to remind each other of the grace of God, the presence of God, the power of God to sustain us no matter what we may face in this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we unpack this passage. May we be equipped for the day when we face suffering in this world. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Karen Watson wrote her own epitaph. And this message over the years has stirred me to pray more and more and more for you all. And stirred me to pray more and more and more for more devotion to Christ. For more faithfulness to Jesus and His Word. She was a Southern Baptist missionary to Iraq and was killed by unknown assailants on March 15th of 2004. In their book, Lives Given, Not Taken, 21st Century Southern Baptist Martyrs, it was written by Eric Bridges and Jerry Rankin. There you can find a letter that she wrote that she put in an envelope that on the outside of the envelope it said, do not open and accept in the event of my death. And she gave it to her pastors and she said, Open this only if I am killed on the field. They opened the letter upon her martyrdom, and they found written these words. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nation's. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. The missionary heart cares more than some thinks is wise, risks more than some thinks is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, and expects more than some think is possible. It was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. There's no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too, and my church family. In His care, Karen. The question I want to ask today is, is that kind of joy, that, that joy that enables missionaries who are persecuted to endure and, and that, that joy that enables missionaries who face either deny Christ or die and they joyfully acknowledge Jesus, that kind of joy, that joy that drives people, missionaries to the nations, is, is that kind of joy available for us? Is that kind of joy available for every Christian who suffers? regardless of what the nature of suffering might be in your, in your life right now? 
We, we may not be facing current threat of martyrdom. We may face a little ridicule every now and then, but we, we, we certainly aren't facing what, what she faced, at least not in this nation at this time. But, but what about you in your suffering? What about you in your trial? What is it that you're enduring right now? For some of you, the suffering that you're enduring might be actually fairly severe in your life. Maybe it's the grief of losing a loved one. There's others of you who are suffering recent diagnoses in your, in your health. Or maybe perhaps you even, don't even know what's wrong. You just know something is wrong and, and you, you just gotta, you, you just, you're just waiting for the diagnosis. And maybe the doctors don't even have any idea about what is, what is happening, what is going on. There's others of you who are suffering in your family, in your relationships with your children, all of those kinds of deep suffering. And then there's just the kind of the, the, the garden variety annoyances of everyday life. You know, yesterday I, I uh, realized that our, our garbage disposal was leaking. And it was leaking so severely that if I did not fix this thing, we would have a major flood. <laughs> and so I did what any good uh, plumber does. I got on YouTube <laughs> and um, <laughs> found the video that showed me what to do. <laughs> and Jackson and I did it. Oh, thank you, Jackson. Woohoo! Fist bump. <laughs> and I thought we were done. And then I got up this morning and I got in to get in the shower, and there's no hot water. <laughs> I'm not shaving in cold water, right? <laughs> There's a line. <laughs> and so the suffering can be like severe. And then sometimes the suffering can kind of be the garden variety annoyances of just when stuff didn't work or just didn't, doesn't go as you have planned. And so the question I want to ask is, is the, the joy that enabled Karen and the joy that enabled others to endure suffering, enduring persecution, enduring those kind of deep trials, is that the same kind of stuff that we need to endure our suffering and our trials and our pain and what it is that going on in our lives? And what I want to see from this passage is the answer is yes. It is the same spirit, the same joy giver, the same life giver that enabled Karen to endure to the end and that also enables us to endure whatever it is that our lives bring us. The reason why I believe this is true is because God is sovereign. Because God is sovereign, He is in control, He is in charge, and He allows the things to happen in our lives so that His purposes will come to pass and so that we will be refined even as his gold in the, in the fire, made more holy, made to be more like Jesus, sanctified by Jesus, by him. What I want us to see in our passage today here in 1 Peter chapter 4 is five reasons you can endure suffering. Five reasons you can endure suffering. Number one is this, suffering isn't a surprise, but a plan. Suffering isn't a surprise, but a plan. 
Look there in verse 12. In verse 12, he begins, Peter begins by saying, Dear friends, beloved, agape toy in the original language, he begins by reminding his audience how much he loves them. He is communicating to his audience from a heart of caring, from a heart of love, from a heart of compassion to those he deeply loves. This is not some talk about suffering. It's not some disinterested theological lecture. Oh no, this is about, this is coming from the heart of Peter. Peter, who loves his people, who loves these people he is writing to. He's pastoring well these people. And in my time here in the last four years, I know some of you have suffered a little bit, and some of you have suffered greatly. And I want you to know that your pastors, your pastor and your pastors deeply love you and deeply care for you and pray for you a lot. We pray for you every week in staff meeting. We pray for you regularly at our homes and in our devotion times and in our prayer times. We are praying for you and we suffer with you. And it is because of that that we want to tell you and we want to communicate you to you. Do not be surprised when you are tested and tried. Do not be surprised when you are tested and tried. In verse 1 here, in verse 12, he says, it's not something unusual that is happening to you. It is not something out of the ordinary that is happening to you. In fact, we as Christians live between the times, between the cross and the resurrection, between the already and the not yet. We have the presence of Jesus. We have the spirit of Jesus, but yet we are not yet made perfected, and Christ has not yet come in his kingdom fullness. We still live in a messed up world that is full of suffering. And there are fiery trials that we sometimes have to endure as Christians because we are God's gold being refined in the fire. Sometimes the fire can be figurative and other times the fire can be literal. Here in this passage in Peter, he is in 1 Peter, he is writing to a people who are facing literal fires. Because at this particular time when Peter is writing, pinning these words, Nero is Caesar. And you know that Nero's persecution of Christians was rather severe and that sometimes he tied people to posts and lit them on fire so that he can have light in his garden. Christians, he would treat that way. And so when Peter says in verse 12, he says, there's a fiery ordeal coming to test you. For them, it was a literal fire. Some of them had become candles in Nero's courtyard. And so even if that is not our fate, even if, or our destiny, even if that is not the direction that God is leading us towards, if God is leading us in a different direction of suffering, we can know that it is not something unusual when believers endure suffering. It is not something weird that is happening to you. Today, our fiery trials often look different than, than what they did in that particular day. We've talked about some of those already. Perhaps there's uncertainty in your job. Perhaps you are going through this period of time and as the grocery bill keeps inflating, keeps going up and the gas bill, gasoline bill keeps going up, you see the number at the end of the month in your Quicken account or on your checkbook and it seems like that number keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That is a kind of suffering we endure in this world. There's the suffering of the doctors saying, we have no idea what's going on. 
And there is that kind of suffering, the unknown. There is the suffering of the crushing depression that so many people endure today or the anxiety that is so common in our culture today. And yet when we endure that as believers, we are suffering as Christians. In those moments, we can know the joy of God and the comfort of God because we know that God has a plan. Some of you are suffering right now because you're fiercely battling temptation. You're fighting against, you're fighting against it. And it is suffering to fight against temptation. It is hard to fight against temptation. Not easy. You suffer by saying yes to Jesus and no to this world. You're suffering and it hurts. Take comfort in this. Suffering isn't a surprise. It is a plan. Why do I keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that is a plan, like it's God's will or something? Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. So then, let those who suffer according to what? God's will. There it is. Let those who suffer according to God's will. So there is a faithful kind of enduring the trials of life, suffering that is according to the will of God. And you could be very faithful to Jesus, very faithful to the Lord, very faithful to God, and yet still endure suffering that is in accordance to the will of God. He allows things in our lives that he could otherwise prevent because there are seasons in our lives when he is refining us, even as gold refined in the fire. Trust his perfect plan. You know, it would be absolutely and utterly maddening to me if there was no point to suffering or the universe at all. That if the story of the universe is just a big bang that happened at some point in the past, no cause at all, perhaps even a series of big bangs, an infinite series of expansions and, and contractions, and we just happen to be random acts of chance by some molecules that just happen to come together in a universe just like this. <laughs> that gives me no comfort. <laughs> and I don't even think that story rings true in our souls, that that is the true story of the universe. We know that this universe, that this world, that our lives has a grand author, has a grand purpose. And so we trust him with the pen that he knows what to write. And we trust in him that Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, it does not say there in that verse that all things are good. Amen. <laughs> but all things are worked together by God for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, he is sovereign enough and big enough and powerful enough to work all things together for his glory and for our good. So we take great comfort and courage in this reality that suffering is not a surprise to God. It's not a surprise to the universe. It is a plan that he is using all of these things for his glory and for our good. Number two, suffering brings current and future joy. Suffering brings current and future joy. And this is so counterintuitive, isn't it? How you, suffering brings joy. Yeah, right. Were you smiling when, you're, when you got in that cold shower this morning? No. <laughs> I immediately got out of the cold shower. Like, yeah, I had one the other day, so we'll go with that. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah, okay. So is that why nobody wants to give me a hug today? Maybe so. Anyway, could be. I've had a bath now, so we're good. <laughs> I'm going to go to the racket club later, right? And not going to work out, just going to say, hey, I'm here for the bath, right? So <laughs> I'm here for the shower. <laughs> and so where was I going with that? I have no idea. <laughs> this is counterintuitive in our culture, isn't it? It's counterintuitive for us. How enjoy and suffering? No, in fact, there are even many Christian ministries out there, Christian ministries out there that teach, oh no, no, if God's blessing in your life is, is powerful in your life, you won't suffer. <laughs> I don't know what that they're reading. I don't read that in here. I don't know what Jesus they followed, because I read that Christ suffered for us. The man most full of the Holy Spirit suffered. And so here in this passage we see that. There's this joy that God gives in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, notice the present and future aspects of it. He says, rejoice now. Instead, rejoice, that's now, present. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Right? Rejoice now so that you may rejoice future when, with great joy when his glory is revealed. I think, what does it mean to share in the sufferings of Christ? I think it, it means that Christ is so valuable to you that you would choose Christ over sin. That you would choose Christ over checking out. That even if I have to go through the Christ because He is more valuable, He is the... He's the pearl of great price. He is the greatest treasure I've found in a field. He is like the best... I, I would sell everything so that I could have Him. So that I could know Him. So that I could continue in Him. I am not checking out because I'm enduring suffering. In fact, I'm going to check in. And it is in those very moments that we oftentimes know Jesus most closely and most precious as the Savior who is there with us, even in the midst of the trial. Even in the midst of the suffering of this world. You suffer and you choose Jesus. You choose to trust Jesus even when you face unspeakable pain and loss. And the world watches that and says, what is happening? How in the world can you have such joy and trust? And you say to them, because my God is better than anything in this world. It's like an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song. What kind of joy is this? that counts it a blessing to suffer. What kind of joy is this that gives a prisoner his song? What kind of joy that can see death in the face and sing it as sweet victory? This is the joy of those who are forgiven and free. There is a joy that we have as believers, even as we endure suffering in this world, that shouts as witnesses out from our life that says Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I love what one author named George Matheson, he was in the 1800s. He was a sufferer because when he was 18 years old, he lost his eyesight. And yet he continued to serve Jesus. And even though he lost his physical eyes, he had some incredible spiritual eyes. And he could just see stuff, like spiritually. I want you to, I want you to hear one of the things that he wrote about suffering. He said the following. He said, there's a time coming in which your glory shall consist in the very thing which now constitutes your pain. Let me, let me say that again. Really catch this. There is a time coming when your glory shall consist in the very thing which now constitutes your pain. Nothing could be more sad to Jacob than the ground on which he was lying, a stone for his pillow. 
It was the hour of his poverty. It was the season of his night. It was the seeming absence of his God. The Lord was in that place, however, and he did not know it. Awakened from his sleep, he found the day, that the day of his trial was the day of his triumph. Ask the great ones of the past what has been the spot of their prosperity, and they will say, it was the cold ground on which I was lying. Ask Abraham, he will point to the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Ask Joseph, and he will direct you to his dungeon. Ask Moses, and he will date his fortune from his danger in the Nile. Ask Ruth, and she will bid you build her monument in the field of her toil. Ask David, and he will say that his songs came in the night. Ask Job, and he will remind you that God answered him out of the whirlwind. Ask Peter, and he will extol his submersion in the sea. Ask John, and he will take you to the island of Patmos. Ask Paul, and he will attribute his inspiration to the light which struck him blind. Ask one more, the Son of God. Ask him whence has come his rule over the world, and he will answer from the cold ground on which I was lying, the Gethsemane ground, there I received my scepter. You look throughout Scripture, and you see it was in those moments of suffering that the saints of God of the past grew closest to God, had their deepest encounters with God, and from there God began to use them in powerful ways even if they couldn't see what God was doing in the moment, even if they couldn't understand or trace God's hand in that particular junction in their life. I think that's one of the things that God's been doing in the last couple of years of my own soul. These last couple of years, just to be honest, have been some of the most difficult of ministry and even the most difficult of life. No one in a million years would have predicted the last couple of years. <laughs> In fact, I have a library, I have probably a thousand books or something like that, and, and I've never read <laughs> any instructions on how to do the last couple of years. <laughs> I mean, you could trust God and, you know, pray. <laughs> this crazy, never would have predicted all of this. And all of the craziness and all the second guessing yourself and all of the, and all of the feeling, like, oh man, what's happening? Am I even, should I even keep going? And there's moments, I'll be honest, there's moments in my life in the last couple of years where I even wondered that. Should I even keep trying? Should I keep going? Anybody there with me? Anybody think that in their life? So it's not just pastors? Amen, thank you. <laughs> there's, yeah, I think there's a lot of us, isn't there? So a lot of us have, have suffered in the last couple of years and walked through this. And it's been challenging. It's been difficult. But one of the things that I can say on this side of things, I hope on this side of this, amen, <laughs> on this, at this juncture, this point in this, as I can say this, God is faithful. And God, even when you can't walk, even when I can't walk, God's holding my hands. <laughs> and even in those hours when I think, I don't think I can go one more step. I don't think I have any more ideas left on how to respond to this season. I've, I've got nothing. In that very moment when I'm at the empty of myself, it is in that moment that God in His fullness comes and says, let me carry you through. And in fact, let me open your eyes a little bit. I've been carrying you the whole time. <laughs> And that's so true, isn't it? It is in those very moments of some of our deepest struggles and pain that we see God. And in those moments, He gives us present joy and He gives us future joy, present joy because God reveals Himself to us as the greatest treasure and all this stuff in the world doesn't matter as much. And even your identity is now found in Jesus and not in as a pastor or whatever because reality, I'm not always going to be a pastor. <laughs> I'm not going to be a pastor in heaven. <laughs> 
as Jesus is the great shepherd, he'll do it there. But you know what? In the middle of that, what am I? I'm a child of God. And I trust God in that. I am a Christian. And that gives us great joy in the moment. But not only that, but he promises future joy there in verse 14. It's not just joy in the trial. It's future joy because someday his glory is going to be revealed. And in that particular day, our joy will be unspeakable and full of glory because suffering will be no more. (laughs) There will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more of that stuff, no more pandemics, no more second guessing, no more of that. Jesus will make all things right. And the joy will just be overflowing and will be greater and greater and greater for every day. And when you get to the billionth day, it's just getting started. That is the joy of the Lord. Number, number three, suffering can draw you closer to Christ. Suffering can draw you closer to Christ. The reason I say can draw you to closer to Christ is because that's, the, that's God's intention in suffering in our lives is to draw us closer to the Lord. But it's not automatic. Because I've seen Christians, even pastors, who have endured times of suffering and have checked out, have walked away from Christ, or pulled back from Christ. And and this passage comes with a warning to us that even in times of suffering, even in times of trial, that during those times is not the time to check out from the Lord. It's not time to pull back from the Lord. It's not time to deconstruct from the Lord. It's time to press into the Lord. Yes, He may may reform you. He may reshape you. He's going to mold you. That's the purpose of it. He's refining you. But trust in the process. Look at verse 14 with me. In verse 14, He says, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you are ridiculed, if you suffer, you're blessed because the Lord is especially present in that moment. Have you ever talked to a Christian who said, uh, and you asked them, how is it that you endured that? How did, how did you make it through that? And their answer so oftentimes is, I have no idea. <laughs> but I know that God was there. And I don't think it was so much me as I think it was God holding on to me during those times. I think that's what it means that when you are ridiculed, when you're suffering, when you suffer, the spirit of glory, the spirit of God rests on you. How do you explain it? How to describe it? I think it's something somewhat like what, uh, what Stephen experienced when he was being stoned. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches this amazing sermon where he walks through the entire Old Testament, shows how it all points to Jesus, and then they get mad and start throwing rocks at him and kill him. And in the middle of that, it says that Peter sees, or, or not Peter, but Stephen sees heaven open, and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He experiences Jesus in the midst of the trial. What does it look like for your life? What is it going to look like when you get there? The answer, you'll know it when you get there. (laughs) But it'll be the presence of Jesus, the Spirit of God, in ways that will commune with your soul, that will be with you, in ways that are unexplainable and full of glory. You just know that you know that you know that He's there, and He's got this, and He'll bring it through. It's the unexplainable, mysterious, mysterious presence of Jesus with his people. And it is in those moments, I think, when we know him best that his grace indeed is sufficient for us. Number four, suffering as a Christian is infinitely better than the alternative. (laughs) 
Suffering as a Christian is infinitely better than the alternative. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, there's an interesting list. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a meddler. And so he says, don't suffer as a murderer. Well, that makes sense. Don't murder folk. Amen. (laughs) Don't suffer like that. Which Jesus says, even if you have called people a fool or hated somebody. And so, so you're like that. So don't murder, don't steal stuff. Don't do evil. Well, now that's kind of a broader category. Don't be an evildoer. But then this, third, this fourth one stuck in there. Or a meddler. <laughs> what? <laughs> Murder, thief, evildoer, meddler. <laughs> What's a meddler? <laughs> Watch this. A meddler is somebody who needlessly gets involved in other people's business with the purpose of causing suffering. It's a person who gets involved in some business that's not their own and not there to be a blessing, but is there to cause suffering. Or maybe somebody's suffering and says, if I'm going through this, you ought to be suffering too. That's a meddler. And what he's saying here is he's saying, don't suffer like that. Don't walk the road of meddling. Don't walk in that road of sin. Seek to be a blessing to others with your life and your actions and your reaction, and especially your words. Do your words bring blessing and encouragement to the church, to the people around you? Don't suffer by giving in to sin, but instead resist temptation and give your life as a follower of Christ. This kind of suffering as we, as we resist temptation brings much glory to God because it shows that God is more valuable. Jesus is more precious and desirable and satisfying than anything. He is your great source of joy and you learn to recognize the counterfeit fake promises of this world that never can deliver. That this world is always trying to distract me from Jesus. And it always lies. It's always hiding something. And yet I trust Jesus. We learn to trust Jesus and His superior promises. His superior and greater promises to anything that this world can promise. Think of the alternative. Look at verses 17 and 18. He talks about the alternative a little bit. He says in verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will be the outcome of the ungodly and the sinner? Here, we see that life is sometimes hard for the Christian, and he is purifying us by fire in order to prepare us for heaven. Listen, you will either face the purifying judgment of God now as he purifies you, as he sanctifies you, or you will face the condemning judgment of God on the last day. Either you will face the purifying, sanctifying work of God in your life now, or you will face the judge on the last day. That's what he's so often doing in our lives. He is purifying us to make us more like Jesus. God purifies you. Why does he purify us? Because he loves us. Because he sees the areas in our lives and the rooms in our lives and the stuff in our lives and the junk in our souls that don't look like Jesus much yet. And he's going to deal with it. And I'm thankful that he deals with it. I'm thankful for... Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that he who began a good work in you would be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus and sometimes that work is glory it's always glorious but sometimes it's wonderful and we love it and sometimes it's very difficult where he's got to trim some things back 
and refine us and purify us to make us more like Jesus. Number five, suffering reveals God's faithfulness to care for your soul. Suffering reveals God's faithfulness to care for your soul. Not only is it better than the alternative, but it is revealing of God's faithfulness to care for your soul. That's the point of verse 19. Look at verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, so there is a suffering we endure that is according to God's will, according to God's plan, that God allows what he could otherwise prevent in our lives for a purpose, for a reason, to make us more like Jesus, and we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. What is the answer in times of suffering? It's a season of growing in trust. It's a season of growing in trust. Like the Cray once said, he once said, here God, you take my pen and you create my rhymes. We take the pen out of our hand. When we get our pen out and we're like, God, I think I could write a better story than you. Oh, no, (laughs) we don't. We trust him with the pen and we give him the pen and we say, God, you write better than I do. You're a better storyteller than I am. You have a bigger perspective than I do. Lord, you write and I'll trust and I will rest in you. This verse summarizes our heart when it comes to suffering. We trust our creator while doing what is good, not remaining stagnant, not remaining stale, not remaining inactive, but doing good even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of the difficult days. You do good for the glory of Jesus. You know, I was thinking as we finish up today, I used to, when I lived in, <clears throat> when I lived in Oklahoma and Louisiana, I had this particular kind of tree in, uh, in my yard. In Oklahoma, in Purcell, it was in the church's yard. I didn't have one, but I had one, in, I had one in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And it was a tree called a crepe myrtle. <laughs> I'm thrilled I don't have one here. But <laughs> I do love crepe myrtles. I just don't like to trim them. <laughs> and so <laughs> they're beautiful. Oh, my goodness, they're beautiful. But when we moved to Baton Rouge and when we moved to Purcell, we found the crepe myrtles hadn't been trimmed in years. They were just this awful, ugly monstrosities that were bending on the weight of their own messiness. It didn't make any sense about where the limbs were all going. They're just kind of all going everywhere. So I said, we got we to trim this. We got to do with it. And so I began to trim it. And I trimmed it a little bit. I'm like, that's good enough. <laughs> Neighbor said, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. You got to cut more. If you really want it to be, if you really want the flowers to come out, if you really want this to smell good, if you really want this to be beautiful in the spring, when the spring comes, you got to cut more. And so I cut it more. And I said, there you go, it looks good. Oh, no. (laughs) You ever have a rose bush? If you have roses, when it comes February time, you're going to feel like you're killing it. like murdering this thing. I thought I was a crepe murderer, not a crepe myrtle. But, uh, <laughs> cut it more. <laughs> and I've not grown roses, but I've read a little bit about them, and I've, and I've read that you got to really cut them back. Like, like, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do to the oh, oh tree. <laughs> and you cut it, and you cut it, and you cut it way further back, but it is in the very cutting that it is prepared for the greatest flowering and fruitfulness in the days ahead when the spring comes and the rains come and the better weather comes jesus says in the book of john he says those i love i prune so that they will bear even more fruit 
Sometimes our suffering in our lives, one of the reasons we endure suffering in our lives is it is a pruning season of God where he prunes back things in our lives, he prunes back things in our souls so that he is preparing us for future seasons of greater fruitfulness. And so in those times, what is the call? Trust the creator while doing good. Let's spend a moment of silence and ask the Lord, Lord, how would you have me respond? Spend a moment praying. Maybe pray about what suffering you're enduring in your life. Maybe if you know somebody that's enduring suffering, praying for them. Pray that God would just help you to trust Him more. Pray that God would just give you that moment where you would know, like, I want to see this. I want to I experience that, that joy in my soul when the glory of God is resting on me. Lord, show me what that even means in my life. Show me that, what that means in my suffering. So why don't you pray? Spend a moment with the Lord. And then I'll pray, and then we'll respond together.